And I'm going to be talking about some, uh, just some topics or subjects that, that I think are relevant to, to, to our lives. I'm going to be talking about priorities and involvement, about encouragement, integrity, about attitudes, about rebellion, about purity. We'll talk about evangelism and money. I'll let you know when I'm going to talk about money. So you can go see your aunt who's sick, all that stuff. Now, I'd like for you to turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, and we're going to begin in a minute from that passage. Ephesians chapter 5. Our thoughts are expressed three ways. They're expressed, we think, in words, in pictures, and emotions. So that we express our thoughts in words, pictures, or emotions. Now I'd like to try a little exercise uh, with you tonight. Um, I want to say a word. I want you to see in your own mind if it evokes a negative or a positive response from you. I'll just say a word and you just think to yourself how you respond to that word, negatively or positively. Apples. Um, cats. I pastored a lady one time and had deathly fear of cats. You say the word and she just panicked. True story in the market. She literally hated cats. Vacation. Children. Exercise. How does that make you feel? <laughs> Exercise. Snakes. There are some people who are so stressed. Oh, by the way, I need to tell you, I'm going to talk tonight about leisure. Huh. And there are some people who are so stressed and their bodies are held in such a constant state of alarm that every thought evokes a negative response. So you mentioned vacation, it evokes a negative response. Oh man, I, I, hate to, I hate to be gone. Too much expense. Talk to them about children. There are some people whose lives, whose bodies are held in such a constant state of alarm that every thought is a panic thought. True story. Psychologists refer to it as the stretching of the elastic. And this is how they, they do it. They say that the body's stress response is stretched when it is subjected to alarm or to an emergency. And normally, the stress response will return to its normal position, to its normal state, when the alarm or the demand is removed. But if it's stretched and held in an extended position like this, after a while, it loses its elasticity. And it develops little hairline cracks in it. And one day, it snaps. I pastor in this day and time, in this age, a number of people whose lives are stretched to the limit. They have not gone back to their normal state. And one day, they'll snap. They're like this dog that 
friend of mine said he saw on the freeway one day. It's lost, obviously. It was trapped on the freeway. It was kind of moving from one lane to the other as the traffic went past. And it, would been, it had been nicked by the traffic, obviously hit from time to time. And he said the dog was just finally in a, in a, in a kind of a state of despair, was sitting down in the lane, fast lane, and just kind of lifted up his face and howled as if to say, if somebody will stop this thing, I'll get off. You ever felt like that? Now this sermon tonight is a sermon on leisure. I'm not talking about working or not working. I'm talking about overworking. And I'm talk not talking about laziness. I'm not going to encourage laziness. I want to encourage leisure. Some of you can't remember the last time leisure was a reality to you. And it's not a sermon to the rich who have too much time and too much money on their hands to do anything with. And it's not to those who are sick who just heard that the doctor tell you you need some time off. It's not even to those who are looking forward to a vacation. And nobody needs this sermon more than I need it. And there's nobody that's less leisure. And there's no one tonight who has more uh, need for somebody to preach to him than I do. So I'm taking the first topic I'm going to preach to myself. I'll let you listen in. Some of you may feel like this, this sermon doesn't apply to you at all because you see yourself as productive. You don't have time to any, for any leisure. But the doctor may see you as a candidate for a coronary. And the, the psychologist may see you as a compulsive, even a neurotic. And your friends see you as somebody who cannot have deep and meaningful relationships. They're all superficial. And you view those people who, who value leisure as being either irresponsible or lazy. And you might wonder how much a talk like this makes any difference to you because actually you don't plan to change. I want to try to show you tonight from Ephesians 5 and other passages that not only is leisure a psychological principle, but it is God's will for every life. So if you turn to chapter 5 of Ephesians, let me just set a background here just a little bit. The first verse of chapter 5 says that we're to be imitators of God. The word is mimic there. He's saying we're to be God mimickers, to be good mimickers of God. Actually, that's the theme of the scripture, I think, in a, in a, in a, in a way. I'm, that's pretty simplistic, but... Um, the Bible says that we're to love as He loves. Matthew tells us that we are to forgive as He has forgiven us. Luke says that we're to show mercy as He has shown mercy. So in essence, the, 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 the Scripture is that we are to, to mimic God. Now to be a good mimicker of God, he describes that. And he gets down to verse 15 and says, Therefore be careful how you walk. That word walk, as we know it in, the, in a biblical sense, uh, perspective, means how you order your lifestyle, how you live. Therefore, be careful how you, you, you organize your lifestyle, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Now, every time I've heard that 
text preached and preached it myself, I, it's usually in the context that there is an urgency to life and you need to get on with that urgency. I want to come at it from a different angle tonight. I want, you, I want, us, I want you to see, I want us to see that, that there is a need tonight in the ordering of your life to plan in it some leisure if you want to be a good imitator of God. Now, if I want to know what God is doing, I want to see God in action so I can mimic Him. I need to find a place where I can really, you know, cue in on what God is doing or what, how God, see God in action. So the best place to begin is in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis because there is the God of creation at work. So if you want to turn to that, well, you can. You're familiar with it, I'm sure, those first two or three chapters. Now, there are four specific things that God did I'm to mimic. You're taking notes on the back. I want you to just put it like this, God, and then put a blank out there. We're going to fill in the blank. See, God in action. I'm going to try to find out what God is doing or God did. God in action. I'm going to try to mimic that. First, God created. So I'm to create. Now, I'm going to get back to this in a minute. I'm just going to lay the groundwork and get back to it. Man, I know that God created something out of nothing, and there is no creation except that which is brought into be out of nothing that was. But in a real sense, we are to create. God had a dream and a plan for this world, and He created on the basis of that dream and plan. He had an order that He followed. He's a God of order. That's the point. Second, if you look down in verse 22, it says that God communicated. He not only created, but He communicated. Now, the amazing thing about the communication of God was that He communicated with nature. For the first time that God spoke and taught, He talked to the animals and the fish. He said to them, multiply, you know, fill up the waters, etc., so he communicated with the creation around him. Third, when you turn to chapter 2, it begins right away, God rested. God created, God communicated, God rested. Now it wasn't that he got tired and he needed to rest. It was not, it's not possible for the creative God to, to, to suffer exhaustion it was that he deliberately, purposely stopped work. Now, if you read over in the Gospels, uh, Jesus said, My Father is working until now, and hitherfore I work. In other words, God has always been active in creation. He didn't stop work, period. He just purposely stopped on that day to rest. Uh, there are always more to do. For any of us. Number four, if you look in chapter three, say, there's the story, there's the, there's the development of man and woman, etc., and, and God related. God related. Now, if I'm going to be a mimicker of God, those four things are going to have to be a part of my life creation, communication, rest, and relation. Now, what do you think of when you think of leisure? Do you think of travel, of being rested, of having more money than you need, of something that will happen when the kids get raised, 
When you hear the word leisure, do you think of warming your toes by a fire in the wintertime? Well, that may or may not be leisure for you. For example, a person can travel and never have leisure. And a person can have all the children leave home and never experience leisure. And he can put his feet up by the fire in the wintertime and lean back in his, in his lazy boy and not experience leisure. Leisure is what you make of time. Now the word leisure itself gives us a clue to this. The word means to be permitted. And what it, what it suggests is that leisure will never occur until you permit it to occur. Now listen to me carefully and watch the development of this, this thought. You will never have leisure unless you permit that to happen. And you say, well, who wouldn't permit it to happen? Well, a workaholic wouldn't permit it to happen. That's one. Uh, someone calls workaholism an addiction that America applauds. And we applaud this kind of addiction that is as bad as drug addiction in many ways. A workaholic would not permit himself leisure. A person who is guilt-ridden if he rests would not permit himself leisure. Now there's some of you who grew up with fathers who made you feel guilty if you ever had any time off. I mean, work on the farm, if it rains, ah, a little time off, well, we clean the barn, you know. I mean, it's, you, you ought to feel guilt. Somebody's written a book, When I Rest, I Feel Guilty. Slow me down, Lord, says Crane. Ease the pounding of my heart by the quieting of my mind. Steady my hurried pace with a vision of the eternal reach of time. Give me amidst the confusion of the day the calmness of the everlasting still. Break the tension of my nerves and muscles with the, with the music of the singing streams that live in my memory. Teach me the art of taking minute vacations of slowing down to look at a flower, to chat with a friend, to pat a dog, to smile at a child, to read a few lines of a good book. Slow me down, Lord, and inspire me to send my roots deep into the soil of life's enduring values that I may grow toward my greater destiny. Remind me each day the race is not always to the swift, that there is more to life than increasing in speed? Let me look up to the towering oak and know that it grew great and strong because it grew slowly and well. Leisure must not be connected with camping trips and three weeks vacation. Leisure must become a way of life because leisure was invented to help uh, keep us in touch with the eternal God. That needs to occur every day. Now, I want to look now at the, the theology of leisure. So we're going to go back to chapter 1 of Genesis. Get two or three things. First, Genesis 1 says that I'm to mimic God as a creator. Now, the scripture, if you read it, or familiar, you're, you're, you remember it, God created form and order out of that which was chaotic. 
God created form and order out chaos. Now, does it sound familiar to you, chaos? I mean, could we live in a more chaotic society? So that man, by simply looking up, could see the glory of God. And it is essential in leisure. The, 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 the fundamental of it is that in the creativity of man, that he's able to create and separate this chaotic world from the glory of God and observe with wonder the glory of God. Is it, is it true with you that there are times when you walk outside and something inside of you just says, tell him thank you? All right, second. Leisure is an expression of that part of you that makes you, you. Now watch what I'm trying to get at here. Most of us think that our identity is inseparably related to our work. I read somewhere long, not long ago that a person did a survey in which he asked this question. He said, um, fill in the blank. I am, and you, you fill in the blank. You, you'd probably think that the answer most often would be, I am, and they'd put their name there. The answer most often put in the blank was what they did. I am a school teacher. I am a student. I am a, a preacher. You know. You know what that says? It says that most people feel that their identity is related to what they do. The amazing thing about the doctrine of leisure is, is that your identity is determined by your leisure. What you do with this part that recognizes God. Now watch carefully. The thing that separates man from animal is that he has the ability to, to, to identify and relate to God. I've said a lot of times, you know, when I put out my Alpo, uh, Prince Precious the Wonder Dog, I, I don't want to see her, you know, putting her paws under her chin and giving thanks. We go, she just, you know, she tells me things, but she, you know, there's no relationship there between the animal and the creator, but there is between you and the creator, I assume. It's like the story I heard about the preacher went in this cafe, one of this little diner one time to eat his lunch. And there's a bunch of rebellious kids around, smart aleck kids, you know, around. And, and uh, the, the old man bowed in his head to say his blessing for the meal, thanks for the meal. And when he finished, these kids were snickering. And one of them said, old man, does everybody do that where you're from? He said, no, the pigs don't. I mean, you know, the, uh, the animals don't. Now, 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 now listen, a part of what makes you you is that ability to separate this chaotic world and, and, and recognize 
the glory of God and relate to that. All right, third. He communicated, verse 22, as I mentioned. It was not a waste of time. It was the full expression of His divinity. He talked. He communicated. He communicated. Brooks Adams um, had in his diary when he was a kid growing up that one day his father took him fishing. And he wrote in his diary, my dad took me fishing today. It was the most glorious day of my life. And Brooks Adams, a- after that, many times made notes in his diary of, that, re- you know, that referred back to the day his daddy took him fishing. His daddy was Charles Francis Adams, Abraham Lincoln's ambassador to Great Britain. He put in his diary of, of this, about the same day. I took my son fishing today. A wasted day. A wasted day. It is not a waste of time to communicate. And a part of what leisure is about is a time of communication. You talk. All right? Third, fourth. The aspect of the doctrine of leisure is that it takes time. It takes time to imitate God. You can't rush in in the morning and spend five minutes with God and imitate God. It takes time to build real relationships. It takes time to develop friendships. You don't do that in chaos. I saw this cartoon one time of this this. Uh, thief was holding a guy up. He had a pistol pointed at him. He said, okay, put all your valuables in this sack. And he was stuffing his friends in there. Now, how many of you would see your friends as valuable? Let me tell you how many of you would see friends as a valuable, valuable possession, possession. Those of you who are willing to spend some time with And the degree to which you spend time with them determines how much you see them as a valued friend. It takes time. It takes time to get to know one another. And that means that leisure is essential to life. Now, I'm going to wind it up by turning to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be there. Verse 24. Verse 24, chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, look, look here at me. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do both. And if you are committed to to getting rich, you can't serve God. Now, let me say what let me let me clarify what I'm saying. In the process of serving God, he may make you rich. And most sometimes does. 
But you cannot serve both. It's either God or mammon. And then he goes, and as the result of that basic truth, he talks about anxiety. Watch. For this reason I say to you, I do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not worth much more than they? Are you not worth, more, worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say that, not even, that, that even Solomon in his glory is not clothed himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What we shall eat, or what we shall drink, or with what we shall be clothed. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, all these things will be added to, the, to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day is enough trouble. Itself. You know what he's saying? He's saying there are three things we worry about. The, the non-essentials. I mean, what matters, what does it matter what you're going to wear tomorrow? The non-essential, that's not that big a deal. So you're going to have cereal or toast, you know, in the morning. Those are non-essential. And we worry about unchangeable things. You said, you're six feet tall and you're in the first grade? And you know, you're not going to change that by, by worrying about it. And impossible things, we worry about the impossible things. Now, when we stop worrying, that's the first cue. Deliberately stop being absorbed with worry. Deliberately stop being absorbed with worry. When we stop doing that, we're going to get rid of all the plastic. I'm talking about credit cards. John, John Steinbach, you remember, when he finally decided he would retire, he got his dog, Charlie, in a pickup truck, and they went across America to find reality. It's called Travels, a real unique title, Travels with Charlie. And he said one night somewhere in mid-America, he was sitting in this little diner, and all of a sudden it dawned on him, we live in cellophane. He said everything there was plastic. He said the tablecloth was plastic. The dishes were plastic. The spoon and fork were plastic. The, the, you know, everything was plastic. And said, John Steinbeck, where are the real people? Where are the real people? Now when you and I deliberately stop being absorbed with worry, and we start creating some time of leisure. 
we return to the real people from whence we have drifted. Second, consciously make up your mind to start taking some leisure time. Consciously start taking leisure. Now it may be that you, you do that in minute, little minute increments in the morning, you're walking out, walk outside to get your paper for one minute. You do that. A guy came home from work on Friday, and I think he must have felt about like I do by Friday. And he's thinking, boy, oh boy, I'm going to get in front of the TV, and I'm going to get me a newspaper, I'm going to lean back, and I am going to crash. This has been one more week. So he got in his lazy boy, and he turned on the TV, and he got his newspaper, and all of a sudden, there was this little face staring at him. He said, hey, Dad, let's play. Oh, great, he thought. <laughs> That's what I need. Well, he thought, well, I'll put him, I'll get him occupied. So he, 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 he noticed in the, in the newspaper there was this great big picture of the world, globe of the world. So he got his scissors, and he cut that globe into a hundred pieces, saying, I'll give this to him. He said, oh, I got a good game. He said, we'll put this puzzle together. He said, you take this puzzle, take this world and put it together. He thought, well, it'll take him four or five hours. And, you know, about 10 minutes later, he came back, had him a little scotch tape. He had that sucker just taped right up there. Part perfect. And this exhausted dad said, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? He said, well, look on the back, dad. On the back, he said, there was, there was a picture of the face of a, of a man. He said, see that face on the back, Dad? He said, when you, when you got the man back together, the world got back together. When you get the man back together, the world gets back together. Folks, we're not going to get back together. We've disintegrated until we take time for God and for each other. Let's pray. Our Father, Impress upon us that there's more to life than what we eat, what we drink, how we're clothed. And help us to see, Lord, that we tear ourselves to pieces worrying about that. And the pieces are shattered all over marriages and all over homes spilled all over the world. I pray that we'll take the steps that'll get us back to what we were 
when we were created. Lay aside some time for family, for our own relationships with you and with others. And thus, not only be like you want us to be, but like you are. We love and want to be like. For I ask in Jesus' name for His sake. Now there are three invitations. There's an invitation tonight for you to receive Christ as your Savior. You were made for Him. An invitation for you to come and join our church or to get right with God in your life. At the point of this, what we just talked about, perhaps we'll give you a moment to think about it. Listen to God speak to your heart. Then we'll invite you to come. Let's stand and sing together.